Welcome to the One Degree Shift Podcast, where we learn the little changes that future-proof some of our favorite companies and teams. Here's your host, Eric Termundi. Rocky Ozaki, thank you so much for joining the One Degree Shift Podcast today. How are you? I'm awesome, dude. How are you? Ah, so good. And uh, just, just let's just put it out there right now to all the listeners who have been loyal and fans of the show since we started. Rocky and I have been co-founders of Now of Work for quite some time now. And, and I just want to say thank you to you for joining the show. And I want to, to the listeners to know that this is your 15 to 20 minutes. Rocky leads the culture transformation innovation for Now of Work. And I wanted an opportunity for him to be able to share his wisdom, his insights, and some of the work that we do together in changing the way that people approach the future of work, the way that they future-proof themselves, and ultimately how they create phenomenal places to work. So Rocky, why don't you tell us a little bit about how we got here today and, and what's most exciting to you right now? Yeah, thanks, Eric. Awesome. Pleasure to be on the show finally. Yeah, so why are we here? I, you know, I kind of take that in a few angles, I think that you know what we you and I both share in and why we get along so well is that I think there's this fundamental fear I don't know if fear is too strong of a word but the world is changing fast and most modern companies are struggling they're struggling to say how do we attract this this connected generation and create cultures that are going to thrive in the future and that problem actually starts to get really big right we start talking about how do we remain agile and what is this innovation game and most companies just don't know where to start. And so, you know, you and I, as you know, started this business to, to help people and companies to feel that calm and confidence and give them capabilities to thrive uh, in this exponential world. Absolutely. And so then let's dive into this. What, what does it mean to be agile? And what are some of those pain points that I, as maybe a startup founder or a credit union president might have in order to feel that, hey, maybe working with Rocky and Eric, maybe that's, maybe that's a good opportunity for us. It's a great question because I think having some roots in tech, I think quite often I, I find myself defending what I say by agile because there's this history of agile and the agile manifesto and agile mm-hmm. software development. And that's not what we're talking about. And while we, t- we were happy to coach that, agile to me, first and foremost, is this idea that, and it's overused term as well, is how fast can you pivot when the market changes, when the mm-hmm. customer expectations change, when your team members' uh, expectations change, because everyone's experience is becoming more personalized. And and we and and how fast can you adapt? And so when we, if you pick on a credit union, you know, as you reference, uh, and let's just say financial institutions in general, those are what we call a legacy industry, and that's by with all respect, by the way. But with that size and that girth um, and all the successes comes with the bureaucracy and process and a fairly slow moving ship. And so when I talk about agile, I'm talking about can you pivot on your annual plan every quarter even you know when something Mm. new technology arrives how fast can you adopt that and really at the end of the day agile to me comes down to the mindset of the organization you need to create the muscle memory not just at the leadership level but the entire organization to embrace this idea that the world is changing that's a good thing and that change is natural and are we going to be a company that's going to be able to move along with the rest of the world so i've been in the room when I've heard an executive say to you with shock on his face, change our objectives and our strategy quarterly? Are you crazy? <laughs> Tell me about why I need to do that yeah. and what that process looks like. 
Okay, so you're right. I get that all the time. So let's just talk in parallels. There's, there's this idea and it's been around for at least 10 years around the annual performance review being dead. Why? Mm-hmm. Well, because many decades ago, we could predict with some certainty what the business or the market would look like a year from now. In today's exponential times, whether that is new markets or technology or, or whatever it is, how many organizations can stop right now of listening and say, I can say with some confidence where our business, where our people, where our markets are going to be and what new disruptive technologies, et cetera, are going to be in the next year. Mm-hmm. You can. And so if you live by this, and, and so for those who say, how can I pivot? I'm not suggesting that you're going to pivot every quarter. What I'm suggesting is that you give your organization and your team's permission to challenge, are we barking up the wrong right tree every single quarter? And in fact, as you know, in most of our experiences, the annual plan doesn't shift too much. It's how you mm-hmm. get to that goalpost or how you get to those key results at the end of the year that might shift Right. And I said, so, so, mm-hmm. so let me just say that differently. I think so many organizations put out an annual plan and say, here is a beacon. Most, by the way, don't have measurable outcomes for the year, but let's just say they do. Mm-hmm. Every, then many organizations then say, here's how at the beginning or the end of December, here's how we're going to achieve that. They lay out the tactics. They lay out all the initiatives. How does that make any sense in this sort of, you know, in that lean world? What if instead you really talked about, found out what problem you're trying to solve, talk to your customers, iterate on things, and then every two weeks or every month you start challenging yourself, should we continue, pivot or preserve, we call it. And then leading mm-hmm. up to that quarter where we say, you know what, this, these things work, but these didn't. And let's give ourselves permission to say, we made some mistakes and here's our successes. And let's adjust now so it's not too late later down the year. Mm-hmm. You know, an example here, British Columbia that, uh, that I love to tell or love to share is, is, is a friend of mine, Kathy Kinlock. She's the president of BCIT. And she went through this major initiative with her senior executive to do a four-year strategic plan. And I think she told me that 11 months into it, she said, we're not moving fast enough. She scrapped the whole thing and they started over and moved their timeline to be shorter too, because she realized as the incredible leader she is, exactly what you're saying too. The world is moving too fast. What is interesting to me though, is you said that this mindset, this mentality isn't just leadership, it's company-wide. So how do we then transfer or cascade this information at the leadership level to be more frequent, but then have this more appetite or attitude to be open to change more throughout the whole company? Okay, so that's a really good question. So what we've learned is that organizations, most organizations, CEOs that we work with get get this. The challenge first becomes, does the rest of their leadership team, and we're talking at the executive level, believe it or not, in a lot of these legacy enterprises or even startups who just have maybe a lack of, of, of executive experience, they may not fully be on board. So the first thing that we always try to do is say, CEO, let's get your entire executive team in line. Let's make sure they mm-hmm. all see the urgency the, and, and, and of the pace of the world, the, 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 the beacons that they're going after, et cetera. And so let me just pause for a second. Now, relate that to culture. And so we don't play just in the culture game, as you know, but let's just use that as an example. We believe firmly mm-hmm. that every organization needs to have some kind of a vision or mission and values. Once they've set those guideposts out, that should, in my opinion, be authored by the founder of the company or the CEO and the executives. Once those guideposts are built, then what? Let the culture become bottom up. Let the team members mm-hmm. right down to the newest, youngest, most inexperienced team member who really buys into the culture and the uniqueness of that business, help them or allow them, empower them to create the culture around those, those guideposts. Okay, so let's take it back to your other question. 
in a world that's changing so rapidly and you're trying to create this more agile and innovative culture, what we're saying is that get your leadership team on board first. And then if you want to have that mindset and that growth mindset cascade to the organization, start at the bottom. And so for mm -hmm. us, that means even micro teams introducing agile ways of working to one or two teams of those fanaticals, early adopters, start doing some, you know, when you talk about design thinking and the hackathon work that we do, Eric, you know, mm -hmm. we rarely start at the top. We say, why mm -hmm. not give these teams and get them and see the power of it? And then what happens? They see the fruits of the labor, they see the value, and they start telling their peers. And now all of a sudden it goes bottom up. And this is no different, by the way, that a lot of SaaS companies, how they work today. The wonderful, we're, we're in Vancouver, so let's celebrate Hootsuite. Hootsuite's tactic was never to go to leadership and say, here's a great tool for social media and tell your staff <laughs> to use it. Neither did Slack, right? Another Vancouver right. company. And so, but instead, they put the power in the team members. When the, when the team members started to use Slack, when they started to use Hootsuite, they said to their leaders, we need to be using this more. And that is my, maybe a little bit long-winded, but that's how you create the mindset. It will never work, in my opinion, by going top-down or creating innovation labs here that work in a silo. Take these frameworks that we teach down to the, right down to the non-manager level. And then mm -hmm. start them, getting them to socialize in the power of this and let them start to broadcast and celebrate it throughout your organization. That's the approach that we find that works uh, quite often. I love it. I love it. And, 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 like, and like you said, we've seen this time and time again. And, and what a great example, too, of empowering people bottom up. Now, let's talk a little bit about then about what this process looks like. Before we started recording today, you were, you were telling me about some, some of the companies that we're working with. What does, what does this process really look like? When the company identifies pain X, how, is this a three-day process? Is this a three-month process? What sort of commitment could people be expecting? I haven't coined the terms and there probably has been coined out there. <laughs> I just don't know what they are. But generally speaking, there's like four buckets of organizations or archetypes, right? There's the ones that are going to be the innovative leaders. And so mm -hmm. throw any company one in there, like the Googles and Facebooks are the obvious of the world. And so they're going to continually pump out innovation and drive the market. So we don't necessarily, we don't play there too often because they got their act together. So the next type is that there's a fast follower. Right? And so these are the organizations that say, we're not going to invest too heavily on horizon twos and threes. We won't be the leader, but we want an organization, like we used the word agile before, that can immediately adapt and be that fast follower. Then you've got this, mm -hmm. this next group, which we call those that are in denial. Right. And so like yeah, they right. actually, even before denial, there's these other ones who are sort of those cautious ones. And so we think we know we're supposed to do this. We're not fast followers, but we're not totally blind. And then finally, there's the ones that are in full on denial. And so without naming them, I think we can all probably think of who those are in our economies and mm -hmm. who the ones are falling behind. So to your question, mm -hmm. we play mostly in that fast follower in that sort of cautious space. So depending on what the organization is, this could be as simple as, hey, let's come in for a few days and help your leadership team, as mentioned before really understand the context of how the world is changing, why innovation and agility is going to be a table stake in your organization, what human centricity really means, why customer experience mm -hmm. really matters. And that might be the starting point. And then they say, okay, from there, let's tip tiptoe and sort of dab our feet in a little bit here and there. And so those types of engagements for us are sort of long, we've been working with some organizations for two years now who are just slowly mm -hmm. taking bit by bit by bit and doing the bottom up approach that we just talked you about. You might call it a one degree shift approach. 
I exactly. Knows? So it is exactly that, Eric. It's, it totally is. And that's a lean one degree approach. So the second, to quickly add to the second, the second side of it is we have organizations who want to be fast followers. And those organizations quite often will go in for three or six months and, and I don't want to say completely transform, but we go hard. We challenge, we audit them and when where they're at, we even audit their team. How innovative and agile do they think the organizations are? We get dig really deep into the organizational uh, makeup and then we go hard. We go hard and, mm-hmm. and, and expedite everything that we just talked about, but over a three to six month time frame and the results are profound if they really buy into this. What is a result that I can expect to see? That's a tricky question because what part of the ROI of this is, is, is hard to measure. There's no question because attribution is hard. So most companies we work with, we're not the only person. We're, we're an organization that helps to train them and coach them, et cetera. But they're probably doing other things throughout the organization, whether it's from a sales tactic for their client experience, et cetera. So I preface this by saying attribution to results is hard in the space that we work in. So what we've been trying to tie this to is a couple of things. Number one, we do have a proprietary survey. And so we go out and we Mm -hmm. audit the team members and they'll say, here's our level of the degree of which we think we're innovative and future-proof, et cetera, et cetera. We test actually, or I should say test, but, but survey even beyond innovation and agility, by the way, we look at sense of belonging and diversity within the organization organization and your, your common employee experience factors. And so the obvious one result, Eric, is that, well, this test that's surveyed today and it's surveyed six months or one year, and you should see mm-hmm. a significant improvement there. The other one that you we're- can't, You we're, can't improve what you don't measure, right? And I think that that's a big, big reason why we've originally done that proprietary survey with our partners in, within, within the companies. Yeah, exactly. And add to that, measure what matters, right? And so mm-hmm. we, so many companies are guilty of all these vanity metrics of this and that. And so we're trying to get past that. The other interesting measurement that you asked about results is recently we've been starting to work with at least a few of our clients with benchmarking how many innovative ideas have you come up with with your team, particularly non-leadership, and how, you know, how many ideas came to life, how many were tested, how many are actually providing some kind of result. And we're seeing through our experiences that that's going up by even 20-fold. So imagine mm-hmm. that. Companies that said this last quarter, oh, we had maybe three ideas come from non-manager. But after going through our design thinking and journey mapping and hackathon type training, all of a sudden says, holy cow, this last quarter we've had like 30 new ideas and we've actually tested five. And we've never done that before. And actually two of them are still mm-hmm. you know, actually yielding results. And so I do think you can measure from an innovation context things like ideas and prototypes built and conversion, actually projects and initiatives that are actually, you know, equating to increased revenues or better client experience, whatever that is. So that's one mm-hmm. thing. And then the last thing I would say is that it might sound a bit of a, uh, I mean, I don't know how this sounds, but I can tell you that the CEOs that we work with say that there's actually something that's non-measurable. The feeling in those executive rooms, how they to dissent, the conversation that they're having, the feeling of the organization. You know, when you talk about cultures, mm. sometimes it's that unspoken and unmeasurable. They say mm-hmm. it's there. It's like we feel more alive. We feel more. Startups don't have all the answers or scale-ups don't, but these enterprises mm-hmm. are starting to say, we feel like a startup. We feel more excited to be right. coming to work. We're trying things. We're not afraid of technology or the future. And I don't know how you measure that, Rocky, but the feeling of this organization is different. And uh, that's something that we're hearing a lot of. 
You know, I love that. And I think that that's so important. You know, having been in and helped lead some of these sessions too, one of the, one of the things that I found in, in the research that I've been doing too is just the importance of psychological safety. I mean, I know that when we do these, in, these uh, workshops, these hackathons, these design thinking sessions, many times I would go so far as to say that the prototype or the action item that we come up with is a byproduct of the deeper sense of belonging and trust that we have with the people that we're working with. And like you said, sometimes that's immeasurable, but the ability to connect with people and find out not just what we are in terms of our jobs and our titles and the tactics that we do, but who we are and how we can mesh and join together is so much more important. Uh, Rocky, as, as, as a last sort of question for you, you know, the, you, you said something around innovation horizons in, in, in one of your answers. And I think that is one of your pieces of thought leadership that I admire the most. Can, can you share a little bit about innovation horizons? Because I think that would really help us sort of wrap things up today. Yeah, you bet. So I can, can't take claim to being the inspirer of all this. I actually took some inspiration from McKinsey years and years ago when they, when they put something out. And I've sort of refined a little bit. And, and so here's my take on it is that that most organizations, I'm going to throw out the number of 90-95%, actually don't innovate. So they think that they're doing things that are innovative, but they're not. If you're not building something or applying something new that offers value to your customers, your team members, whoever, you're not innovating. And so of that 5 or 10% that actually innovate, I would suggest in my experience, 80% of them only focus on Horizon 1. And so while it's super important, Horizon 1 is that idea that we're going to get better at our, you know, our deliver better products and services today, the current products and services. And most organizations should be innovating in Horizon 1 regularly. So mm -hmm. if that's true, so with Horizon 1 there. So what we're saying is that don't spend more than 70% of your time in Horizon 1. Why? Because Horizon 2 is, in a nutshell to me, is practicing or toying with or experimenting with uh, emerging and exponential technologies. And so these are things like spatial computing, AR, VR, and MR. It could be blockchain. It could be 3D printing. It could be any number of these emerging technologies. And blockchain, for example, as well. So what, 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 why would you want to do that? Because it's our belief that these technologies are existing, particularly outside of, of, of you know, Canada, maybe Toronto, Montreal, Vancouver are, are there, but most organizations aren't realizing that these emerging technologies are going to happen and influence their business faster than they think. And so when we talk about socializing change within organization, imagine if you start to dabble with these emerging technologies in Horizon 2 today, even if it was really lightweight. What happens when that technology actually infiltrates your, your sector, your business? The organization is going to be more ready to adopt it because they've toyed with it. And there's going to be uh, a little bit more confidence to use that. And then finally, we get to Horizon 3. If you know who you fundamentally are, our suggestion is spend 10% of your innovation uh, resources in Horizon 3, which are called moonshots. So take mm -hmm. a shot, whatever it is you're in, just take a shot out there and say, you know what, we're going to try something without any expectation of ROI. Mm -hmm. And so I know we're running out of time, but let's just use a really quick example. And it's easy to pick on, but let's pick on Kodak or Blockbuster, right? Blockbuster thought they're in the business of renting videos. And you know the story, by the way, of them laughing out Netflix when mm -hmm. they were, could have bought them for 50 million. But let's use Blockbuster. Horizon One would have been, how do we get more new releases on the shelves? That's Horizon One, current products and services. And they did masterfully at that. The second Horizon could have been at that time, this thing called the internet. Oh my gosh, like, mm -hmm. what if we did do delivery? What if we leverage this, this worldwide web thing? And if they really knew what business they were in, for an example, that they're actually in the business of entertainment, not renting videos, might they have Horizon 3 saw that 
streaming and cloud and all these other, i.e. Netflix, was their future. And if they knew they're in the business of entertainment, they may have purchased Netflix for the $50 billion they could have back in the day. And so that's what we talk about Innovation Horizon. I'm going to end with this. And this is some interesting stats are coming out there that why this is so important is because many are predicting in the next decade, within a decade for some industries, that your revenue streams are going to be coming from Horizon. It's going to be flipped upside down. So Mm -hmm. said differently, 70% of your revenues in 10 years are going to be coming from Horizon 2, Emerging Technologies, mm-hmm. Next Model Technologies, or a moonshot you or someone in your space took. Like, right. think, think about that if you're listening to this podcast. Many are predicting in 10 years, 70% of your revenues are going to be coming from Emerging Technologies or something that you haven't even heard of today. This is why creating an innovative and agile culture is so important to organizations today. So cool. Question for the audience, what innovation horizon are you spending your time in? Are you taking those moonshots? And how can you flip that so that the next 10 years, we're not like Blockbuster or Kodak? Rocky, is there anything you want to close with in this, in the sense of ways that we can get in touch, uh, places we should go, things we should read? Yes. My biggest thing is if, if this is intimidating to some people, start lean, do that one degree shift as, as Eric preaches about. Just start listening to some podcasts like this one. Start subscribing to some blogs. Again, I'm going to give a shout out to McKinsey. That's a great blog on innovation. And just start to get sort of feel for the language. This doesn't have to be scary. Of course, go to our site nowwork.com because I'm not sure what we do is always easy to communicate on a podcast. But if you feel like you as a person or an organization, uh, is wanting to future-proof your career and your business, that you have a bit of anxiety about how to do that, that's where we come in. So we'd love to hear from you. And uh, I I wish everyone luck in their futures. And I'll say this as my last point is uh, the future is friendly, as Tela says. I'm a huge proponent that technology, if for good, will arise, that all our lives will be better in the next decades to come because of the changes that are happening today in the world. Rocky, thanks so much for your time today. Look forward to seeing you here soon. All right, dude. Thanks for this. Bye-bye. For more podcasts, show notes, and to connect with our speaker today, visit erictermundi.com. That's E-R-I-C-T-E-R-M-U-E-N-D-E.com. And click the podcast tab. Thanks for listening.